I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. And in fact, welcome to season five of the From My Angle podcast. I sure look forward to delivering another series of conversations over the next nine months which touch on topics in education, leadership, youth-related issues, exploring them both through the lens of the Parish Episcopal School experience and through those members of the broader community here in Dallas and Texas and beyond. Indeed, we are excited to be with you for a school year which, despite the recent surge caused by the COVID Delta variant, we believe will arc toward much more normalcy on our two campuses. Last year's podcast season, you may recall, centered around the theme together. Quite obviously, in the year that was one of pandemic-induced disconnection and civic divisiveness, the theme seemed to fit. We explored civility, listening, and grace as essential elements to unify and reunite people. We also considered how play and creation, creativity, forge bonds among individuals in a group. Our discussions led us to see and hear about rich examples of this powerful synergy both on the parish campuses and beyond. As this podcast season begins, trying to stay together as communities will continue to challenge us as opinions do vary widely on whether and how we should return to life with the pandemic still in our midst. COVID-19 is with us and will remain so. The stupendous accomplishment of the vaccine, however, has defanged its impact and, if slowly and haltingly, begun to release us back to more normal routines than we experienced for much of the last year. Questions emerge as we consider the days to come beyond the uncertainty and fear of the pandemic's first hours, days, weeks, and months. How have we changed as people as a result of what we've experienced since March of 2020? Which elements of our relationships with others have snapped right back to normal? And which have we found more difficult to navigate? How have the organizations of which we are a part and the businesses we frequent changed over these last 18 months? And indeed, as we ponder a new school year, one we hope will be much more normal than the last two, it is time to reconnect and reset. These two words, reconnect and reset, provide the lens through which we will look at the world of education, leadership, and youth-related issues over the next nine months of this podcast series. We begin then with a premise, that the experiences of the pandemic, from the initial fear of contracting the virus to the social isolation to the loss of life people unfortunately experienced in their circle of friends and family, to the uncertainty and disagreement still with us about when and how to get back to normal, have all been traumatic. The pandemic has posed threats to both our individual and collective well-being, upended routines and ways of life, and even shifted ways we operate and our perspectives on the world. So to get us started this season, we are thrilled to have a national expert on trauma, its impact on us, and the way we move past it. Laura Lipsky is the founder and director of the Trauma Stewardship Institute and author of Trauma Stewardship and the Age of Overwhelm. Widely recognized as a pioneer in the field of trauma exposure, Laura has worked locally, nationally, and internationally for more than three decades. Much of her work 
being invited to assist in the aftermath of community catastrophes. Laura has also long been active in community organizing and movements for social and environmental justice. I think Laura offers us an excellent way to start our season and think about reconnecting and resetting ourselves after the pandemic. So enjoy this first episode of the new From My Angle season with Laura Lipsky. Well, welcome to season five of the From My Angle podcast. Hard to believe we've had now four seasons starting a fifth of the podcast and are excited to be with you for what we anticipate will be in time a much more normal year. Last year's podcast, my listeners will recall, centered around the theme of together. We explored how we were managing the pandemic-induced disconnection and civic divisiveness of the time. The theme really seemed to fit. We dug into things like civility and listening and grace, how we come together to play and create excellent conversations with those off the parish campus and so many of our students and faculty who do exciting and creative things here. But this season, a season we expected and hoped would increasingly move to normal, we wanted to shift our focus and our word to reconnection and resetting. How is it that as the pandemic loosens its grip, we find ourselves facing life forward as people and organizations. And I am so excited to get started in this conversation first with a national expert on, of all things, trauma and its impact on us and the way we move past it. Because undoubtedly, and still today, for many of us, the pandemic has been a source of trauma, trauma in real terms of lives lost and sickness endured, trauma also in the uncertainty that we've all been asked to grapple with. Laura Vandernoot Lipsky is the founder and director of the Trauma Stewardship Institute, a Seattle-based organization aimed at raising awareness to the toll trauma takes on individuals and to help them respond to it in a healthy way. And I'll explain as we move along in our conversation how I came to understand and find her and her expertise. But in the meantime, Laura, thank you for joining us to help us launch season five of the From My Angle podcast. We're glad to have you. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to this. So we'd like to have their guests, uh, our guests begin by talking to us a little bit about their story, you know, how they identify, how they've come to be who they are today, uh, professionally, especially. So you, as people will find out if they research you, do so much as an advocate for conservation, environmental causes, for the homeless, for those who experience trauma. You're an author and a speaker and a founder you're a survivor yourself. I wonder though, how you most commonly identify yourself when making an introduction to new friends. <laughs> That's a nice question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I identify myself as a trauma worker. I mm -hmm. definitely don't identify myself ever as an author. I, the, both of those books were written because I was asked to write them. Um, <laughs> and no way do I identify as a writer or an author, but um, I, I identify as a trauma worker and an educator and primarily on, you know, on, on trauma, but also when I work in trauma, for me, it's always within a larger context of an awareness of systematic oppression and structural supremacy. So that's interesting because I don't know how many people in my network or in my past I've bumped into who would describe themselves or identify themselves as trauma specialists. So tell us a little bit about the backstory of how you came to study trauma and its impact on individuals. What, what pulled you to the work? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for me, probably the deeper answer to that was really this concept of trauma mastery, even though I didn't know it at the time. Mm -hmm. Trauma mastery, I mean, all of your listeners will know what that means, even if they don't know the clinical term. But trauma mastery refers to the idea that one of the hardest things about primary trauma that one might survive in one's life is the out of control nature of it. That, you know, that's one of the kind of one of the things that makes trauma trauma is how out of control it is. And so humans forever, what we've done is we recreate situations as similar to that traumatic incident as possible because we tell ourselves this time we're going to have a different outcome. Hmm. So you can see that happen in activities in somebody's life or relationships and also with work. So a lot of folks who go into particular careers do that because they're trying to reconcile something from back in the day, something they've been through. So that was certainly a guiding force for me in choosing this work, even though I didn't know it at the time. At the time, I came to the work because I had an um, unbelievable professor who became a mentor of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he spoke about suffering was just, he spoke about it in a way that I had never heard it spoken about. I mean, really, he talked about it in terms of equanimity, in terms of the, us having space to be able to acknowledge that there is endless amounts of pain and suffering and, and, and hardship in the world. And also that we have to also remember how much beauty there is and how many blessings there are. And, mm-hmm. and that, that, uh, that, that understanding of equanimity, that, that, that there's space for all of it. And, and that was just something I hadn't heard somebody talk about it in that way before. So that's how I was initially drawn to the work was developing a relationship with him and he had a relationship uh, with the homeless shelter in the community where we were living. But I think the deeper reason that I um, ultimately stayed in the work was because of this concept of trauma mastery and, um, of, and trying to reconcile any number of things <laughs> from yeah, earlier in we, my life. Yeah, because we yeah. all face so many things that, as you describe it, are out of, out of control. It's an amazing story about your mentor. Yeah. Do you, could you tell us what subject he was teaching uh, when you... When you oh, yeah, um, yeah, and he's still... Uh, oh, sure, sure, yeah. So he's still, and he's still, um, I mean, he still does amazing work. So his, his name is Dr. Applebaum and he's in, he is in Southern California. Um, and it was sociology that he teaches wow. and he, he, he continues to do extraordinary, extraordinary work. And, um, and I've had the privilege of, um, being able to stay in touch with him, but yeah, I, I mean, he is, I, I owe so much to him. He, he's, he's one of those people who, um, you know, when, when you think back on your life, who, who absolutely made just such a difference in, in what trajectory you took. And, uh, one, kind of one of those moments when just time slows down for you in life and it, uh, it, there's a, uh, Yiddish word, Bashar, which means meant to be. And it was really like one of those, one of those moments with me crossing paths with him. I'm, I'm eternally grateful. Yeah. It's a beautiful frame really to think about trauma as, as part of the human experience and to, and to be conscious mm-hmm. of balancing it off around the, and, and against the powerfully beautiful things that life also has to offer. It's very grace. It's a very grace filled way to walk into an experience with trauma. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that. I suspect listeners are like, okay, you run a school in Monaco and uh, we're kind of wondering how you, this school year is going to start and what does trauma have to do with the pandemic? But I'll, I'll, tell the context of how I found you and why I was so intrigued by your work. I was reading in May of 2021, an article written by 
uh, the Pulitzer Prize winning reporter and author Ed Young called the pandemic's trauma just won't go away. There you see the word. And the article resonated with me because, you know, it really heightened, heightened my awareness to the pandemic as trauma, even for those who did not get sick or lose a loved one or experience direct economic or other personal implications of significance. What the article actually refers to is trauma with a capital T. The article also talks about trauma with a little t, the types of out of control situations that you were just referring to. So can you help contextualize for us as a trauma expert, how the pandemic was traumatic for all of us, young people, children, adults, um, on one level or another? Yeah, it's such a great question. Well, I mean, I think I think one of the things I want to say in this, you know, this ties in. I mean, and you know this uh, so much better than I do with with the work you're doing, and and uh, and I imagine so many of your listeners, and and with the, with the religious orientation that that you have, with you know, grace and humility and mm-hmm. everything is is that I do I do think it's important to understand that how folks have experienced everything that's gone on over this last, you know, year and a half plus, mm-hmm. I think, I think we want to be really aware and, and acknowledge, like continuously acknowledge that it's personal and it's subjective. Mm. So on any given day, you know, w- what might level me, you know, you might be just completely chilling right? <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> and yep. so it's not, I, I, I want to be, I, I try to be very, very intentional about um, that. I, I don't know that everything was traumatic for every single person. I don't know that everything was overwhelming for every single person. I do think that, um, I do know that there's this concept that we call minimizing that, and that's talk, that, that goes to what you're talking about, that for a mm-hmm. lot of people, when we talk about trauma, they, they go to the place that you're talking about. like, well, look, you know, I wasn't intubated. My loved mm-hmm. one didn't have this. Mm-hmm. I didn't lose housing. So there's this thing that we do individually where mm-hmm. we minimize and, and we see it in every single community after disaster or catastrophe. Um, and you all know that, I mean, in, in Texas with, I mean, the amount of how hard you all have been hit by the climate crisis and everything. So you see it in your communities of like, well, I didn't lose my house in a flood or I didn't lose right. this. So, so we see it individually and we see it collectively, this concept of minimizing, which it's mm-hmm. not having context. It's not having perspective. It's not having gratitude. It's where it's a very, very harsh, mm-hmm. like self-deprecating approach to it. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we want to interrupt that. We, we like it's not helpful for folks to minimize. I think context, perspective, gratitude is helpful, but minimizing isn't helpful. And also, on the other hand, I, I think it's important to not do a broad brushing. So it's it 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 doesn't have to be this extreme thing of like it doesn't have to be this magnitude of suffering for it to be traumatic for somebody. Also. I do think it is important to understand that these are personal and subjective experiences. And part of how folks experienced this last year and a half plus has to do with how they came into the last year and a half. Mm. Okay. And how people came into the last year and a half has to do with, you know, intergenerational transmission of trauma, intergenerational transmission of oppression, epigenetics. Mm -hmm. It has to do with any number of things and all these other headwinds in society. So when people say, you know, we're all in this together, I mean, kind of but you can also imagine that folks who have been navigating oppression their whole life 
they're going to have a very different experience of the pandemic than mm-hmm. folks who haven't been navigating oppression mm-hmm. their entire life. Right. Yeah. And you can imagine that folks who have had resources over the pandemic, that's going to be a very different experience than folks who haven't had resources. Now, again, we don't want to get into comparing of suffering, but right. I do think it's important to understand that it, it, it is it is everybody has had their own experience of this. And yeah. so the reason I think that's important is because I can't say enough about every single day what I'm working with people about in every field I'm working in, in every country I'm working is trying to encourage folks to extend as much grace to each other as possible mm. and have as much humility with each other as possible. And I, my, I have two teenage daughters and, you know, we try to talk like every day about just having a mantra as we go out into the world about like saying, you know, like what I don't know about this is everything, you know, just kind of trying to root in this, like really root down in this, in this, in this, um, you know, in Buddhism, it's called beginner's mind in this concept of like, look, what I don't know about this is everything. Like I, I just don't mm-hmm. under, I, I'm going to just assume that I don't understand anybody else's experience of this. And I want to have a lot of grace and a lot of humility right now because the present day experience that somebody's having has a lot to do with what they came in with a year and a half ago. And that has a lot to do with all the years that preceded it. And that has a lot to do with somebody's ancestors, right. you know? You and, know. and so all of that, it gets deep really, really quickly. Yeah, it does. And so I think it's just, you know, when we're coming all back together and you all are back on campus together and folks are interacting and emotions are high and folks right. are having, you know, their big feelings, like you say, in your pre-K classes, <laughs> I think we want to understand that there's much more to it than folks just having kind of a hard Thursday, right? Like, I think we want to understand that this runs very deep for folks and, and we would benefit from having disgrace and humility, which obviously, as you know, is kind of the opposite of what's happening in society right now. Correct. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful way to think about it. In other words, our, we bring our own stories to live through the chapters of the pandemic. And, and you know, you don't, you don't really uh, have awareness of other stories unless, unless you're humble enough to, to, to take the moment to listen to them and, and, and to carry some grace into it. I, I do think in this notion of you know, uh, minimizing or, or comparing, you know, what's interesting to me in a school of basically well-resourced um, uh, families and students, you know, even the dis- even for those that didn't get sick or, or lose resource, even the disruption to schedule, uh, even the uncertainty about when will it end, right? Because we're here in another surge, for example, in, in August totally. 2021. Like mm-hmm. these are, these right. are, these are trauma- these are traumas with a small T in and of themselves, are they not? They, I mean, for some people, they can experience them as traumas with a small mm-hmm. T. But again, look, if you, it depends what somebody's been through. Like if somebody lost their dad to cancer, you know, six years ago, this might not be trauma with a small T. This might be right, exhausting. Right. This mm-hmm. might be you know, overwhelming, this might be very depleting, but this might not be trauma. And for a parent who served in Afghanistan, three tours, this might not be trauma. This might be, again, this might be very depleting. It might be an enormous, 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 like, like headache. I mean, like, like logistically, but it might not be. So, so is it disruptive? Is it scary? Is it, overwhelming is it confusing is it confounding is it is it like any number of things like sure and on any given day it might feel traumatic but it's it's 
there's a lot go- that goes into whether or not we perceive something as traumatic. It is, it is absolutely unequivocally like, like ineffably. I mean, it, it is a lot, right? Mm. It is a lot. And that should not be minimized in terms of like, and it shouldn't be compared. I think that's the thing that I think is very, very important for your mm. listeners to understand is it, it, it shouldn't be compared. Like it doesn't need to be compared. Nobody needs to compare their story to like, if you were invicted or not, if you were right. intubated or not, if you lost somebody or not, like the comparison is just, there's no point in doing that. So we don't need to be comparing. I think what folks need to do is they need to look within themselves and they need to be able to have some ability to be self-reflective and introspective of how am I doing? How grounded am I? How much do I feel exhausted by this? How depleted do I feel? How rattled do I feel by this? Right. And like, how, how is my sleeplessness? You know, how much am I grinding my teeth at night? How depressed do I feel? How anxious do I feel? Have I laughed in the last three weeks? Mm. You know, do I work out anymore? Do mm. I have any sense of awe? Do I enjoy spending time with anybody? Like, that's what's important is that own self-reflection. It's not, I'm having a bad day, but I don't feel like I can have a bad day because I didn't lose, you know, three loved ones and my neighbor did. Right. And so I think we want to really support folks in whatever you're feeling like that is completely valid and it's totally okay. It is totally okay to not feel okay right now. And I think the other thing that you might be noticing a lot with folks around you who possibly are used to being very, very high functioning and bringing their A game to things and being competent, including, you know, the adults and a lot of the young people you work with is there's folks right now who are struggling. And then there's a lot of folks who are struggling because they're struggling. And that might be what you're seeing a lot is you might be around a lot of adults who are used to firing on all cylinders. And I bet you're used to being around a lot of kids who are used to being very, very high achieving and they know how to, kick it in and put their heads down and do the work and find the gear. And now they might be really noticing for the first time or one of the first times in their life that they just can't, they're very distracted. They have decision fatigue. They're on cognitive overload. They're just not, they, they, they don't have their sense of humor anymore. They're not enjoying things, you know, and that, that's what I'm seeing with a lot of people is they're struggling and then they're struggling because they're struggling. That recalls, um, one of the more powerful quotes from the article I referenced from Ed Young, in which your quote in, in the article, this this notion of, uh, as you said, quote, uh, as hard as the initial trauma is, it's the aftermath that destroys people, right? So you've really just unpacked this idea that uh, as we emerge from, you know, what we up to this point have experienced is the most intense portion of the pandemic from March of 2020, you know, through the uh, emergence of the vaccine. You know, as people start to get back to uh, life as they knew it in some form, they're still confronting these struggles of cognitive overload, of loss of energy, of, of sense of, of, of a dread, right, of, of just premonitions of, of what might go wrong next. And they're just not clicking uh, on all, uh, uh, all cylinders. I think uh, Adam Grant referred to it as this kind of notion of languidness, right? They're just feeling, they're feeling kind of languid. Right. Um, in, in this mm-hmm. phase of in this phase of transition. So if I'm a teacher mm-hmm. or a parent then, and I'm, I'm looking at a child in my home or a student in my classroom, 
and I'm, I'm looking for, uh, I've done my own self-reflection and I have a pretty good sense of uh, regularly checking my own gauges. And I, I, and I want to be, you know, a grace-filled and humble and, and empathetic to those children that I, surround me. What signals uh, of exhibiting kind of a post-traumatic ex, uh, symptom might we look for in the young people around us? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Well, I, I, okay. I think the first thing I want to say about it is, is um, if we just pull the lens back a little bit here, and I, I don't want to totally overgeneralize, but you know, I don't think anybody looks to the United States as having a strong suit in grieving and mourning. So I think that that's the first thing I want to say is that any any of your colleagues, comrades, listeners who have ever grieved or mourned in the United States know that um, there is there is generally a tremendous lack of support for grieving and mourning. And we know that grief and loss takes a very, very, very long time. And often in the United States, grieving and mourning is a very lonely experience. Mm -hmm. And so with the pandemic, even if you haven't lost somebody, so even if there hasn't been a loss of life, there is so much grief and loss. There are so many layers of loss that folks are wading through loss of one's sports season, loss of one's, uh, you know, the, the whole theater experience. Like you didn't mm -hmm. get to have your musical that you thought mm -hmm. you were going to have mm -hmm. happen, right? Like there's like loss of graduation, loss of your first day of school. I mean, there is loss mm -hmm. upon loss upon loss. And mm -hmm. we are in a society like that it, there's such a lack of support for loss, even of life. So we're definitely not doing a good job supporting all those layers of losses. So I think right. one of the things that's very important for folks to be really noticing with young people is, is, is understand how long this is going to unfold for. Like mm -hmm. this will continue to unfold for a very long time. And part of what you're referencing is that in that aftermath idea is that, you know, when folks are really in it, there's all this adrenaline, right? You, mm -hmm. Your nervous mm -hmm. system gets really jacked up on adrenaline and that can only sustain for so long. So when right. that starts to drain is actually when you start to feel things. Like when I worked with a group of Mennonites who they said, you know, when you slow down, that's when you feel and that's when you really start to reflect. Hmm. And so when that adrenaline like leaves you, that's when you really, that's when a lot of the feelings come. And that's, when things can be start to feel very, very crushing. And so I think one of the things that we have to understand with young people is that this is going to be unfolding for a very long time. Like mm -hmm. the, the repercussions of this, the legacy of this is going to be mm -hmm. unfolding for a very long time. Mm -hmm. It's going to look different. I mean, th it, it'll look different across the board. I think the, another thing that's important to remember is, uh, is, you know, there's the pandemic, but of course there's also, everything that's gone on with structural supremacy and systematic oppression over this last year. Obviously that's not new, but mm -hmm. it's surfaced in very painful ways. There's also the climate crisis, again, mm -hmm. not new, but accelerating mm -hmm. in horrifying ways. Mm -hmm. And then regardless of, you know, where any of your families are at politically, I don't know anybody who's enjoying what's happening with our democracy in our country. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing that young people, even, even some of your young kids are tracking Mm -hmm. A lot of that. Mm -hmm. And certainly the families are tracking that. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's like layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. So some of the specific manifestations with all those layers, you know, 
exhaustion is one of them. And, and mm-hmm. it's like a soulful, it's not like you're tired and you take a nap and you feel great. This is like, mm-hmm. you feel tired in your soul, in your spirit, in your bone marrow. Mm-hmm. We talk about lack of awe so that, you know, in your region, let's say you're having a beautiful summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say, you know, people have gotten to actually spend some time with people they love, but they don't feel anything. Mm-hmm. So that's what we think about with lack of awe. Like mm-hmm. y- you might have these blessings around you, but you, you, you like don't feel it at all. Mm-hmm. We talk about feeling really numb. So like it just completely like that you just can't like in your head, you might, you know, you, you think to yourself like somebody might feel something right now. So I should probably go through the motions of feeling something, but I'm actually not feeling, you know, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about uh, like the cognitive overload and decision fatigue, I think is one that um, all ages can relate to. So this is where you'll see like high level of distractibility, that mm-hmm. it is very, very, very hard to stay focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is where, I mean, when you get to my age, it happens all the time. Like you walk down the hall and then you're like, wait, hey, wait, why am I in this room? <laughs> why, what, what was I going into the kitchen for? But you see it, I mean, you see it, you know, you see it in young, young, young kids now where they're like, wait, what, what am I? Like you, you have a hard time finding words. You have a hard time finishing sentences. Um, and that's obviously, I mean, any of your parents and teachers who are working with adolescents, they know that that gets particularly hard given all the construction that's going on in the adolescent brain. So it's kind right. of, you get hit on both sides with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, feeling like you're not doing enough, like, so that kind of sense, like, you just, you just feel like, you, you just, you feel like you're, you feel like you're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Um, cynicism, I mean, that's something that can really get hard, too, and that can get hard in all ages, but it can really get hard in young people as well. <laughs> addictions, and addictions can be kind of the classic addictions we think of, but addictions, you know, you can get addicted to being critical, you mm-hmm. can get addicted to highly processed food, you can get addicted to, um, once things start opening up, you know, quote unquote, you can get addicted to being overscheduled again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the things that we see. So there's a, there's a circle and we can make sure that there's a circle that we've put together mm-hmm. um, that we can make sure if there's a way that you, I'm not sure if there's a way, or if you've got a website for your podcast or something, yeah. you know, for the school, but there's, there's a way we have, we've got these two handouts that, um, that you could share with your listeners. Um, and That'd it kind great. of, shares yeah. all the different manifestations on there. Yeah. Because that's a, that's a, that's a wicked intimidating list of potential um, uh, manifestations of, of this disconnection, you know, this notion of soul tiredness and lack of awe and being, you know, numb or cynical or addicting. So, you know, it begs, you know, it begs kind of the round off question for us. And that may be how you conclude the circle. You know, I lead a large uh, organization. I'm a parent, like you're a parent. Uh, there are teachers uh, that uh, are listening too. So, you know, when we think about helping individuals reconnect to a life of flourishing, when we think about organizations reconnecting, the article talked beautifully about uh, confidence and leadership and a sense of belonging and community solidarity as things leaders can do to, you know, help communities reconnect. But, you know, at the highest levels with the lens pulled back, what are what are some ways that uh, we can work with individuals and communities um, to to reconnect and and to get the points of flourishing, move past the trauma, even as they individually take some time to to, to you know to walk their own personal journey through it? Yeah, I really appreciate you asking that. So part of the way that I think about this, um, and I and I think about this just um, 
I mean, because of the work, because of the work I do and, and how much it applies to this is I think about, I think about this on a very foundational level of how this has affected our nervous systems. So if you think mm-hmm. about like your nervous, you know, you actually have your nervous system. I have my nervous system. Mm-hmm. I think about your campus having a nervous system. You mm-hmm. know, I think you mm-hmm. have two campuses. So if you think about your campus as having a nervous system, mm-hmm. anywhere that, you know, your, your listeners go to, to practice their religion, you know, like your churches mm-hmm. have a, a, a nervous system, your community has a nervous system, your, your households have a nervous system. So I think we have our own individual nervous systems. Mm-hmm. And then I think about like where we are in collective spaces that those are nervous systems too. Mm-hmm. And when I do this work, I think about this like on a very foundational level, like just to be able to sustain to like actually like just kind of life and death to be able to sustain, we have to figure out how we are going to tend to in a very, very basic way, our nervous system, when it goes through something that is overwhelming, all right, and, it, it, and, and, and when it gets traumatic, and also just in a proactive, preemptive way. So wherever mm-hmm. anybody is on the continuum right now, mm-hmm. what, what do we need to do to tend to one's nervous system? Mm-hmm. And so with, with what has gone on, and how overwhelmed, and how just kind of, um, how jarring, you know, just how, how completely, how, how it's like inconceivable on so many levels. Like there's, there's so much that's happened over this last year and a half that has really been inconceivable again, on so many levels, just, and and also the perfect storm of so many things. You think about what that does to your nervous system, right? right? And how that interacts with your brain. And so what we look at with trauma is we look at what conditions can you have in place to metabolize it? So that's kind of, that, that's how I think about it is how do we metabolize it? How do we make sure that that doesn't stay in your nervous system? Mm-hmm. So individually, you know, if I was working with you individually, I would want to support you. How do you move that through your nervous system? How mm-hmm. do we make sure mm-hmm. it's not stagnant in your nervous system? Mm-hmm. And then if I was working with your school, I would be looking at the same thing. Like how on your campus mm-hmm. do we how palpably on your campus I imagine if we were on your campus we would feel some stagnation of that on your campus like you could probably palpably feel a sense of disheartenedness or mm-hmm. dispiritedness mm-hmm. on the campus mm-hmm. you know a sense of overwhelm on the campus so we would look on the campus how do we move that how do we metabolize that stagnation and make sure it doesn't stagnate and saturate the campus and then same thing, like larger community wise. So that's what we look at is what conditions do we need to put in place to metabolize this? And those and are that, the good news there. Can... I mean, I hear what you're saying, like with the overwhelm, but the good news there is there's a lot of things that we can right. do that actually don't take much time. Yep. And they don't take a lot of money that allow us to metabolize. And so yeah, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's the, the other handout, which is a survival guide, which, which you can share with your listeners too, where there's a number of things that we then support people in doing individually as well as collectively to be able to metabolize this. Yeah, that's so cool because I mean, and we look forward to the survival guide. Thank you for offering it. I, I mean, I think that the yeah. individual, the individual solutions uh, as one experiences trauma individually and uniquely are going to be as individual and unique. So for some, it might be journaling and another it might be doing artwork for another, it might be taking a walk. I mean, those, there are just so many ways, right. That one can on an individual level um, be led or guided or helped to find their way to 
um, metabolize that trauma. And then I think in communities, you know, we're really fortunate this year, we've got a 50th anniversary, right? So there are ways that we can safely uh, bring our community together to um, celebrate uh, something that's exciting for Parish Episcopal um, and, and are, you know, are, are kind of blessed that that falls into, into place uh, to allow us to, to do that as a way to, again, metabolize the fact that we've been disconnected for so long and that's been, that's been stinky and made us frustrated and, and mad and angry, but, um, you know, to, to kind of work that out of our system. So um, that's a really interesting way to think about um, this uh, idea of metabolizing trauma and actually working it actively out of one system. So fantastic, fantastic thoughts. Um, and, and so, you know, I think for all of us, I guess we're, we were kind of thinking when you and I set up this call back uh, several weeks ago that we were on the backside of the pandemic. And I certainly hope we're arcing toward more normalcy and uh, we're not anticipating this uh, surge that's met us at the start of the school year. But, uh, you know, we, we certainly take away from this conversation with you uh, lots of good ways to think and to frame the concept of trauma and the concept of how to reconnect ourselves to uh, a life of flourishing and how to reconnect our communities to, to get into sync with one another again and find the joy that comes with human connection. So just want to thank you so much for uh, for sharing your wisdom with us. Oh, I just, it's really, for me, it's such a treat to be able to speak with you. And, you know, if, if, if I can ever be of support or if our Institute can ever be of support for your community and the work you all are doing, um, you know, I hope you, your listeners, just, just reach out to us at our Institute. We really like to be of support any way we can. And, um, and we'll make sure that you've got a way to share that survival guide and that circle with your listeners. And we're, we're in the process of developing a little bit more of a comprehensive kind of a, a, a part two of the survival guide, knowing how, um, how uh, that, that this, uh, you know, it's going to continue to be a long road here. So that that's going to be um, kind of a, a part two of the survival guide. So we'll make sure that we also get that to you, that you can get that to your listeners as well. But thank you so much for, yes. for having me this morning. Thank you, Lawrence. The trauma stewardship, um, uh, Institute, and you can find it at uh, trauma stu- at, uh, online at the Trauma Stewardship Institute, and and uh, can certainly find some of Laura's uh, um, uh, talks that she's given in various venues where she she goes into further detail on some of the strategies and thoughts around trauma that she shared with us today. And we will post those resources uh, um, as links uh, when we put up the the podcast uh, on on our social uh, spaces in the next uh, in the next week or so. So. Uh, thank you. Best of luck as you get back and resume your uh, work uh, coaching and leading organizations and individuals um, uh, through their own experience with trauma. We appreciate you being on the From My Angle podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Take good care. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. On our next episode, we talk with researcher, author, and speaker, Amy Blankson. Amy is an expert in the relatively new field of positive psychology, and she will help us think about happiness and how to reconnect with a positive mindset as we emerge from the pandemic. We'll see you next time on the From My Angle podcast.